0: Y'all, right. If you got your Bible, open up to Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two. We're going to be going over verses eleven through fifteen this morning. Let me get my Bible over there. Uh, I just want to say thank you to Deborah and our worship team. Uh, when they found out that Miss Marlena was sick this morning, they just had to reset. Everything uh, from the songs that we sang to the special music. And so I just want to say uh, appreciative word for them uh, for being, being willing to and able to just kind of go with the flow um, and, and do what needs to be done. And so uh, I just wanted to say thank you all to them. Now, um, <clears throat> Colossians chapter 2 verses 11 through 15. We've been going through this uh, passage really from Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6 through 15. And we've been looking at the idea of faith. So first we saw in verses 6 and 7, we saw the basis of our faith. And we talked about Jesus Christ and how Jesus was the foundation and the basis of our faith. That that who Jesus is and what Jesus has done defines for us or or is what our faith is built upon. Not our works, not church, not uh, any activities we can do, but it's built on Christ. Then in verses uh, 8 through 10, we looked at the sufficiency of our faith in Christ. Christ, that, that what we believe in Christ is enough for salvation, it is enough for our daily life, uh, that we don't have to add what our, our world says, what the culture says, we don't have to mix and match from other religions, that what we have in Christ is sufficient for our lives. Well, this morning we're going to close up this look at faith by looking at the effect of our faith. Because our faith in Christ, it is not just some kind of mental thought or or mental ascent or some kind of belief that has no impact on who we are. But our faith in Christ has an effect on us uh, both eternally, it means that it impacts our eternity with Christ, with God in heaven forever, but it also has an impact on us here on earth and who we are and in how we live. So this morning, we are going to look at the effect of our faith. So let's look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Uh, I'll read it, we'll pray, uh, and then we'll start working through the passage. It says, in him, that's talking about Jesus, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also, uh, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God is made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses, by canceling the death of dead that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, God, as we look at your truth, God, as we look at the effects that faith has on our lives, Father God, I pray that you would encourage believers, and for anyone in here who does not know you, God, that this might be the morning of salvation, where their faith uh, is started and created in you. Father God, I pray that you would speak through the Holy Spirit, to our hearts, and to our lives, that you would speak through your word. And Father God, that you would speak louder uh, than my voice ever could, and deeper and more true to our hearts, Father God, than any human ever could. Uh, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so the first thing that we see here in verses 11 and 12 is that our faith frees us from sin and identifies us with Christ. So as we look at verses 11 and 12, these are the two ideas that we are looking at. The faith frees us and it identifies us or it unifies us with Christ. Christ. Now, verses 11 and 12, Paul uses two uh, different concepts to illustrate uh, what salvation does for us, or what our faith in Christ does for us. He uses circumcision, and he uses baptism. And so, what we're going to see here is that faith frees us from one master, uh, that master being sin, that master which only desires for our destruction, and gives us a new master, a new father, adopts us. To a new family, a good father, a good master, who only wants what is best for us, and that is God, and that is uh, us surrendering our lives to Him through Christ. So let's look at verses 11 and 12. It says this, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So, the first illustration that we see, Paul uses circumcision uh, as an illustration of the freedom from sin we have in Christ. Now, why in the world is Paul talking about circumcision? And why is he using circumcision as an illustration? Well, it has a reason. If you remember, there is false teaching that we're never given a specific, um, what the teaching is, infiltrating this area, infiltrating these churches. Paul is writing because a pastor from the area went to Paul, said, look, here's some of the false teaching that is coming our way. I need help what to do, to, or to know what to do, how to handle all of this. And so Paul writes this letter. So we've seen him address a couple of things. Like last week, we saw him address the, the kind of idea of Gnosticism, where there's the, the separation of the, of the body and the spirit. This week, he's also kind of dealing with, or what this illustration kind of ties us to is, there's a false teaching that we see throughout really a lot of Paul's letters, and it's, it's uh, by a group of people called Judaizers, and what they do is these are people who uh, are Jews and still embrace the Jewish faith, and they are going behind Paul, or going to other regions where the gospel is spread, and they're saying, yes, Jesus is good, but if you really want to be saved, yeah, you got to believe in Jesus, but he's only a small part. You also have to do everything else that the Jews do. You have to follow the law. You have to do the sacrificial systems. And one big aspect that was part of Jewish life or Jewish faith was circumcision. When God went to Abraham and called Abraham and, and told Abraham and gave him that Abrahamic covenant where he told him, look, I'm going to take you and I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to take your descendants and they're going to outnumber the stars of the sky. And through you, all nations will be blessed. As a sign of that covenant, those who uh, attached themselves to Abraham, uh, his descendants, anyone who was uh, not a Jew who wanted to come into the Jewish faith, they had to be circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that you were believing and accepting this declaration that your faith was being placed in this promise that God had made. It was a sign that you were uh, a part of this covenant, that you had, embraced this covenant. Because of this many people had kind of taken circumcision and salvation and placed them side by side and he equated the two that if you wanted to be saved you had to be circumcised and if you were circumcised that meant you were saved. And so they had taken this idea that God only meant to be a sign a sign of obedience a sign that said uh, this is what I believe and they were equating it to salvation that if you got circumcised and That meant you were saved. And so Paul uses this idea of circumcision to introduce what true salvation really is. And what we see in verse 11 is he calls it the circumcision of Christ. He says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now that circumcision of Christ can also be called the circumcision of the heart. And so there are two aspects that he kind of points out here that define for us what this circumcision is. So the first is this. Circumcision of the heart is spiritual, not physical. So when, he's, when Paul is talking about circumcision, he's using an idea that they are aware of, that they know what he's talking about, they understand everything coming behind it, and he's using it as an illustration to, to show the fault in that, but also point out what true salvation is. So the first aspect, he says, is made without human hands. This is to point out that, hey, I'm not talking about literal circumcision. I'm talking about something spiritual that is happening internally in your life. Salvation is not about the physical. And here's what I mean by that. Salvation is not dependent on who you are, what your nationality is, uh, who your parents were, what your bloodline is, how moral you are, how good you are, how much you give, how hard of a worker you are. None of that shapes or or, or defines your salvation. Your salvation is not made by human hands, it is not something that we do. Salvation is a work of God where God looked down on a humanity that had fallen into sin and had rejected him. It said, even though they have rejected me, I'm going to love them. And I'm going to love them with a love that will never be surpassed by anything else. I'm going to send my own son to die on the cross for them. He will rise again and he will send back into heaven. He will pay the penalty for their sins and he will sit as their mediator between them and me. And I will create a relationship with them by making the greatest sacrifice ever made. Salvation Salvation is not dependent on how good I am as a person. My salvation is dependent on how good Jesus was as a person. My salvation is dependent on what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. My salvation is dependent on the the plan and the work that God initiated from heaven when he said, I'm going to love Cam by sending my son to die on the cross for him. My salvation is built around me trusting in who Jesus is and what Jesus did for me for my salvation, not on my morality or my goodness or anything else. My salvation shapes who I am. It shapes how I live. It impacts how I live. But how I live and who I am does not create my salvation. So, the first thing that we see is that circumcision of the heart is spiritual, not physical. Secondly, circumcision of the heart frees us from spiritual bondage. So, he says the first thing that is not made with human hands, and he said it is putting off the body of the flesh. All right, so let's kind of define these two terms that kind of sit here this putting off and the body of the flesh. What does he mean here? Putting off here means to to cut off and to throw away or to cast outside To take something, cut it off, and then consider it as as rubbish or as trash and not needed and throwing it away so it is no longer a part. So that's kind of where the idea of circumcision kind of comes in. But also body of flesh. When he says body of flesh, he is not talking about literal flesh. Remember, he's just said this is not made with human hands. Body of flesh is a a terminology or flesh is a terminology that Paul uses frequently in his letters in the New Testament to refer to uh, our fallen uh, human sinful nature that is still under the control and authority of sin. So what Paul is saying is that in salvation, in this this circumcision made without human hands, in salvation that is a work of God, what God does in your life, what God did in my life, is He takes those of us, human beings, who because of Adam and Eve and then because of our own sin, the Bible is very clear that we are all under sin's dominance or sin's control or sin's authority. And what He does in salvation is He takes that authority, He takes that dominance, He takes that rule in our life, He chops it off and He gets rid of it so that we are now no longer slaves to sin. Before Christ, all I could do was sin. Even the good that I chose to do would come from selfish desires or selfish ambition or selfish wants. Now that I'm a Christian, that has changed take a moment, not, not not right now, but take a moment when you get home and read Romans chapter 6. It won't take you but about two or three minutes. In Romans chapter 6, Paul lays out this whole argument that look, you are a Christian now which means that sin is no longer your master. You're no longer a sin to slave. Sin no longer has control over you. Now in Christ, you have the choice to choose righteousness and obedience and loving God and to say no to sin and to say no to temptation and to say no to the things that, that displease God. And you're now, sin is no longer your master, so no longer live that way. And sin is no longer our master because of this idea of the circumcision of Christ or the circumcision of the heart, that when we were saved, that bondage that we had to sin, those chains that tied us down to sin, Jesus Christ took, He chopped them off, He cut those sins or those chains, He broke those chains and He separated us from the dominance and the control sin has in our life. Now, if there is a sin that dominates or controls our life, it's not because we are forced to live under it and we have no hope and we have no victory. It's because we have chosen to surrender our lives back to that sin. But the great thing is there in grace, we can always confess, we can always repent, and immediately be freed from the power and the authority and the control of that sin in our life. So Paul uses this whole illustration of circumcision to say, look, you're not saved by what you do. You're not saved by who you are. You're saved by trusting in Christ. And then what Christ does for you is more than circumcision could ever do. He frees you from the control and the dominance of sin in your life. Second, Paul uses baptism as an illustration to show our unity in Christ. So in verse 12, he says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, there are some who have taken this verse and tried to say, well, this verse means that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. So, salvation is faith, is trusting in God, plus being baptism. That is not what this verse is saying. Let me be clear. This verse does not say baptism is necessary for salvation. In fact... In verse 11, Paul just said circumcision is not necessary for salvation. So why would he then in turn add another human activity to salvation? That is not what he is doing. But just as he used uh, circumcision circumcision to illustrate a point, he's using baptism to illustrate a point. And that point is when we are baptized, it is not saving us. When we are baptized, it makes a declaration that we have been and unified with Christ. It is a declaration to those who watch, to those who witness. It is a declaration to a local body of believers that says, I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I have died to my sins, that circumcision of the heart, and I've been risen again to have new life in Christ. Sin is no longer my master. Sin is no longer in control of my life. God is my master and I am aiming to follow Him. I am united to and identified with Christ. Christ. In fact, in verse 12, or in verse, yeah, in verse 12, he says... Um, have been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. He says that you were raised through faith. That we are not raised or we are not given new life in Christ by our works or by baptism. We are given new life in Christ by faith. It is by grace you are saved through faith, not by works. So Paul does not use this verse. This verse is purpose. Remember, keep things in context. This verse's purpose is not to say or, or baptism is necessary for salvation. The purpose of this verse is to say salvation makes a picture of what has happened internally. Salve, or, 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 baptism excuse me, paints a picture of what has happened internally. Baptism paints a picture that says, I was dead in my sins and I have died. I've paid that penalty in Christ and I've been given new life. I've risen again. I'm a new creature. In Christ. And really, that leads us to our next point, verses 13 and 14. And then the point that we're going to see is that our faith purifies us and gives us life. All right, and let's read verses 13 and 14 again. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Let's just stop there. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh. Sometimes it is necessary or beneficial to, to ask the basic questions. And one of the most basic questions that, especially for presenting Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven, Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation, why do we need salvation? What is so bad that we need someone else to save us from that we cannot do it ourselves? And Paul spells it out for us right here. He says, And you. Who were dead in your trespasses or in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh? Remember, plug that back up there. That's not talking about the physical flesh. That's talking about that circumcision of Christ. That means you're still under the authority and the control of the power of sin. And you were dead when your sin was controlling your life. Our sin makes us Spiritually dead. The reason why we need someone to save us is because spiritually, apart from Jesus Christ, spiritually, before we place our faith and trust in Jesus, spiritually, we are deceased. We have no life in regards to a relationship with God. There is no relationship with God because our sin makes us spiritually dead. And guess what? Dead people cannot do. They cannot bring themselves back to life. No matter how much they work or try or whatever they want want to do, death cannot create life. And so we need someone to save us. We need Jesus because on our own we are spiritually deceased. Because we are spiritually dead, there is no relationship there on our own, or on our own power, or on our own ability. Death is a defeater, or death is an ender of relationships. When I got married, me and my wife made vows that said, till death do us part, meaning that if one of us were to pass away, that marriage has ended, that relationship while on earth has ended ended. That death ends relationships. So if we are spiritually dead, there is no way for us to establish or create a relationship with God. We needed someone else's help. We needed someone else to step in. We needed someone to breathe life into us so that we could have a life, a relationship with God the Father. And that is only done through Jesus Christ. And that's where he goes on. He kind of tells us how that works. He says, God made alive together. He's talking about us. He goes, you who were dead, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So God has given us life by forgiving our sins, by having Jesus pay our penalty. So really this verse breaks down in four different sections or four different kind of wordings. First, he says, having forgiven all our trespasses. So you who are dead, God is made alive, having forgiven all our trespasses. Let's, let's just sit here for a second because this is, this is a good truth to kind of sit in for a second. This is a good truth to remind ourselves of. He says, God has forgiven all your trespasses, all your sins. First of all, God is the one who forgives. We don't have to earn forgiveness. I cannot earn forgiveness from God, I cannot be good enough to earn forgiveness. At the point of salvation or even now that I'm a Christian. If I fall and I sin and I mess up, I can't go to God and say, God, you know what? I messed up. But look, I'm going to do better and I'm going to earn salvation. Or I'm going to try harder and I'll do better next time. And I'll, and I'll show you that I'm kind of, of worth this or that I can do this. Forgiveness is not a work of cam. It is a work of God. It is He who forgives me. That already takes a huge burden off my shoulders because I don't have to try to earn anything from God. I am resting in His forgiveness. I am sitting in His grace. I'm trusting in His ability to forgive me and take my sins off of myself. So He is forgiven, but what He's forgiven? All my trespasses. God doesn't just say, hey, look, this is 50-50. I'm going to forgive half of them. You work off the second half. Or, hey, this is 60-40 or 7-30. Or God doesn't say, hey, I'm only going to forgive the big things. You take care of the little things. Or vice versa. I'll forgive the little things, but you have to somehow work out the big things. No. God says, I have forgiven all your trespasses, every single one of your sins, from the smallest white lie to the biggest whatever it is you have said or done or thought. God has forgiven all all of it, when we turn to Him for salvation, when we place our faith and trust in Him, when we repent of our sins, God takes every single one of our sins that we consider small, that we consider gigantic, and He forgets them all, eradicates them all, separates them all from us. He remembers them no more. We have been forgiven all of it. There is no sin that you or I have committed if we have placed our faith and trust in Jesus that God will not forgive us of. All right. Secondly, so he's forgiven all of our trespasses. Secondly, how? By canceling the record of death that stood against us. All right. So he canceled the record of death that stands against us. One thing that we have to understand about sin is as we sin, it's kind of like each sin is is taking out another loan against God's righteousness. We're taking out another loan against God's justice and God's wrath, God's hatred against sin. And what we do is each sin, each thought, each activity, each desire of the heart that is unrighteous, that does not line up with God's Word, we're kind of digging a hole and we're digging deeper and deeper and deeper. We're taking out more loans against God's righteousness, more and more loans, and we're getting more and more debts. We're digging a deeper hole. We're getting kind of more IOUs that we can never, ever, ever pay back, that we could never, no matter how good we are, no matter what we could do, we could never pay back the IOUs or the debts that we have gathered against ourselves by our sin against God's perfection and His righteousness. Meaning, when our life ends, those IOUs are going to be cashed in. That debt is going to be cashed in. The check is going to come, and we have to pay that. The way we pay that apart from Christ is by paying the penalty of our sins for eternity in hell. But Jesus Christ stepped in and took our spot so that we did not have to do that. He took all of our punishment. He paid all of our debt. He filled in that big hole that we had dug for ourselves. He Satisfied and pay back all those IOUs that we had taken from God, and he completely cancels that debt. The record of debt that stood against us in Christ has been completely eradicated, completely canceled. Meaning that, once again, going back to the forgiveness of our sins, when he forgives us, he takes every sin that we have ever committed or will ever commit, and the debt towards that, the penalty towards that has been Cancelled. That's why the Bible says there is, therefore there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because of the debt that we could not pay back, Jesus perfectly, absolutely, completely satisfied and paid back. Amen. Third, with its legal demands. Now I kind of hit this a second with that, but for God to be righteous, for God to be just, which He is. You know, it's easy just to focus on the love of God, the grace of God, and the mercy of God, and we should look at that, but we also have to understand the righteousness of God that defines goodness. We have to look at the, the, the justice of God that has to punish uh, when, when the, the law is broken, and the, the wrath of God which despises sin. The legal demands of God demand that sin be punished. And our sin is punished one of two ways. Either it's punished because we pay the price, or it's punished because we've trusted in Jesus who has paid the price. But one way, our sin will be punished. Either in ourselves, which is eternity in hell, or in Christ who died on the cross and took that punishment for ourselves. Which brings us to the last point. He says this he set aside. He set aside those legal demands. He set aside that debt. How? By nailing it to the cross. All of that was done, all of that was satisfied in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, died a death he did not deserve, died a death that we earned and that we deserve, but that we could never satisfy, that we could never pay, so that we could have everything that he just talked about, that we could have uh, the forgiveness of sin, the canceling of our debt, the canceling of the legal demands that came with our debts. All of that is found when Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose again three Three days later, for you and for me. Jesus Christ offers us a salvation that is more than just church attendance, that is more than just, hey, I'm calling myself a Christian. He offers us a salvation that says, look, all the sin, the laws of God, the rules of God that you have broken, all of the legal demands that you have gathered yourself by the death that you have accumulated before God, in Christ, all of that is gone. All of that is wiped away. All of that is forgotten. All of that God remembers no more. If you You place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And in Christ, we have forgiveness. In Christ, we have the cancellation of that debt. In Christ, we have the removal of those legal demands. In Christ, we have freedom. In Christ, we have forgiveness. In Christ, we have life. Apart from Christ, we have a debt that we will pay for all of eternity. That will never be satisfied. Because no matter how good we are, no matter how long we suffer, we are not perfect. So, therefore, we cannot satisfy a perfect God's righteousness and justice towards sin. We need Jesus, and our faith in Christ gives us all of that. And third, in verse 15, our faith gives us victory, both eternal and present. Verse 15 says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Now, when he's talking about rulers and authorities, he's not talking about human rulers and authorities. We kind of go back to Ephesians 6.12 where it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Meaning, Kind of in the world that we live in, we've got the physical, which we kind of see everything that goes around around us, and then you've got the spiritual. And in the spiritual, that's where you have God existing, that's where the Holy Spirit's at work. In our hearts, we don't see God, we don't see the Holy Spirit, but at the same time, there's an enemy that exists, Satan, his demons, his fallen angels, who as 1 Peter tells us, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour The devil, our enemy, his sole desire is to keep as many people away from God as he possibly can and then to take those who are God's children and to keep them uh, stuck in sin and uh, try to keep them away from living a life that is obedient and joyous and fulfilling in Christ by offering us lies and temptations and everything else just like Adam and Eve in the garden. And the thing is, Jesus Christ offers us victory when it says that he disarmed the rulers and authorities. He took away the power and authority. Remember, sin is no longer our master. Satan, the devil, has no impact and influence in the fact that he cannot cause us to do anything. Temptation, yes, but there is no power there. There is no authority there. He has disarmed them and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. The picture that that paints is in this time whenever one nation conquered another nation. They would take the kings and they would take the generals and they would put them in chains and they would parade them through the city so that the victorious city, they all saw the fallen enemy. They all saw the fallen kings. They all saw the fallen generals and it shamed them and the, vic- the victory was made evident in the victorious city or the victorious town. In Christ we have the victory. The, the flesh has been cut aside. The the authority of sin has been done away with. It has no authority over our life. The debt, the the record that we have accumulated for ourselves, it has been forgiven. The enemy has no power. He has no victory in our life. Both eternal, because in Christ we have eternal life with Him in heaven and now. Sin has no power in our life. Sin has no dominance in our life. The only reason we sin now, is not because Satan has the power to do so is because we make really bad choices and choose to sin. We have been given victory in Christ. We have been given victory here and now that sin is no longer our master. We have forgiveness over all of our sins, even when we do fall and mess up, even when we do make bad choices. Forgiveness is always offered. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness is always offered, plus our eternity is settled in Christ. Our faith is more than just a belief that makes us feel good. Our faith is more than just a belief that we get to call ourselves Christian or go to a certain church. Our faith has an effect. It has an effect on us in eternity. Our sins are forgiven. We have eternity with God in heaven and it has an effect on us here and now that sin is no longer our master. We don't have to live under the oppression and the bondage that sin brings with it. That we can live in life and joy and hope and peace and the obedience of loving and knowing and following Jesus Christ. Our faith has an effect on our life. On the flip side, to not have faith in Christ also has an effect on your life. You are under the bondage. You are under the authority. You are under the control of sin in your life. And your eternity your eternity is an eternity of judgment. Your eternity is an eternity of justice. And your eternity is an eternity of Suffering for the debt that you are gathering to yourself. For those in this room who do not know Jesus Christ. I cannot add anything to what God in His Word has already said. And all I can do is beg you to consider the truth of what God says. That our sin does have an effect in our life. And not just now, but effect eternally. And that is not something that we want to pay, especially since Jesus has already paid it. Let me beg you to place your faith and trust in Him. For those of you who are believers, you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Look, if you find yourself constantly giving over to sin, where sin is still in certain areas dominating your life, go to God's Word, go to Romans chapter 6, read it every day, memorize it. Believe the truth that God has given you victory. Cry out to God. Ask for help. Ask for strength to to conquer and to defeat and to beat that sin. And it is there, I promise you. Last week we saw the verse that says, Jesus Christ, or in Jesus we already have everything. God has given us everything that we need to live a godly life in Him. All we have to do is embrace it and plug into it by crying out to Him and by depending on Him. Know that you don't have to live under the, the, the pain and the, uh, the defeatedness of sin, but there's victory in Christ. Understand that there's forgiveness. Never let Satan beat you down or your own flesh beat you down and say, you're not God good enough. God doesn't love you. God won't forgive you for that. God's already forgiven you. All you have to do is go to Him and say, God, forgive me. It's already taken care of in the blood of Christ. Trust God's Word, not the lies that are thrown out at us. And then let us love Jesus more and praise Jesus more because of the debt that we have gathered for ourselves that He canceled on the cross by nailing it to the cross with His Son, Jesus Christ. So that we died with Him on the cross and we were given new life with Him when He rose from the dead. Take uh, uh, solace, be comfort in the fact that our salvation does not rest on our backs or on our works, but our salvation rests on the works and the back of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done for us. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now and thank you for this time that you've given us. Father God, I pray for everyone in this room. Father God, you know hearts and lives. I do not. Father God, I pray for anyone in this room who does not know you as their Lord and Savior. Father God, show them today, convince them, God, open their hearts and their eyes to see that the Father God on our own, all we have is a debt and a penalty that we can never pay. And Father God, how sad of a thing is it to miss out on the fact that that debt and that penalty, the payment is sitting there. Jesus paid that penalty. Let us place our faith and trust in Him. Father God, I pray for anyone in this room who does not know You. God, that this morning they would place their faith and trust in You as Lord and Savior. Father God, I pray for for those of us in here who do know You. Father God, that we would embrace the victory that has been offered to us, God. That we would embrace the, the freedom that has been offered to us. And Father God, as we fight against sin, that we would do so knowing, God, that You've already given us the victory. God, all we have to do is trust you. All we have to do is turn to you and lean on you. Father God, help us to love you more and more every single day. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.